Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Today I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture. This is an undated lecture. It is titled Family Portrait. And this lecture is in two parts. So this is part one of two. Neville tells his audience, tonight's title is The Family Portrait. 30 odd years ago, a play appeared on Broadway called The Family Portrait. It was a study of Jesus and starred Margaret Webster and Judith Anderson. They played the parts of Mary Magdalene and Mary the Mother. The central figure, Jesus, never appeared on the stage, just as it should be. The brothers appeared, bringing the news of what he had said and the reactions of the crowd and the concerns of the two Marys. This went through the entire play for its two and a half to three hours. I do not know if it ever came on the road, if you ever saw it, but it was a perfectly wonderful presentation of this greatest of all mysteries. And in keeping with the story, he never appeared, because Jesus Christ is not what the world thinks he is. Jesus Christ is a pattern man. It's a pattern buried in every child born of woman. There is no description of Jesus in the Bible, because everyone one day will experience the story in a first-person, singular, present-tense experience, and he will know that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you cannot pinpoint it and take one face and say that is Jesus, because that would not be Jesus. Everyone wearing the same face that he has now will realize, I am he. Then, before others know it, they will witness to the one who knows it. When you are born from above and have experienced the entire story, and you tell it, there will be those who believe you and those who will not believe you. Those who will believe you will see you cast in the role, not in this world, no, not here, but they will see it in the world where it really does take place. For in the depths of consciousness, the gospel is still extant. It is an eternal story, the story of redemption, and everyone is going to experience it. So in the story, the mother would ask, what is he doing now? And they would come back and say what he is doing and what he is saying now. They bring back the story of what he is saying and how are the people or how are the people reacting? Well, they are very excited that people are speaking in terms of revolution, that people are thinking in terms of all kinds of violence over what he is saying. And then the two Marys are frightfully concerned because spiritual growth is a gradual transition from a God of tradition to a God of experience. They had a God of tradition, and he is now turning the whole thing over and showing a God of experience. Well, what did he say to the crowd? He told them that he came out from heaven and came into the world, and he's leaving the world and returning to heaven. What else did he say, said Mary? Then he told them that God was his father. He also told them that he and his father were one. He also told them that his brothers were those who did the will of him who sent him, and that his father sent him and his father is himself, and the father never left him. Did he say that, said Mary? Yes, that is what he's teaching, that people are going wild, and he's telling them that we are all brothers, and that he is ascending to his father and my father, and he is ascending unto his God and my God, and the people are all for him, but the authorities are against him. But he does speak with authority. He speaks not like the scribes and the Pharisees, he speaks just like anyone who is speaking with authority. He is knowing, and he knows what he is talking about, for he has experienced it. 
Now, when I tell you that I have experienced in detail the entire story, I must say to everyone who hears me, believe it or not. Those who believe it will see me cast in the role, not here, and those who know me very well here know my weaknesses, know my limitations. They say of me just what is said in scripture. Why, I have seen him under the influence of wine. He's a wine-bibber and a glutton. He's a friend of sinners, harlots, tax collectors, and they will think that is superior insight. And yet it is pure blindness to read into the life of God's elect some littleness with which one is in some peculiar way familiar. The intimates know you well, and they knew you occasionally take one too many, that you indulge sometimes as a glutton, and that you do have friends that are questionable. They are harlots. They are possibly thieves, and yet you will tell them how to use God's law to free themselves from the clutches of the law. They have broken the law of Caesar, and you will come to their assistance and tell them how to pray, as your father taught you how to pray, and it will not fail them. They will free themselves from what Caesar would impose upon them if he caught them, and so you are a friend of sinners, a friend of the harlot. Those who know your friendships and know your physical weaknesses, you'll hear them say, Well, now I know him. And they will read into the life of one they know well the littleness with which they chance to be familiar, and think that is superior insight. That's the story. But here in my own case, New York, here and in Los Angeles, but because I am in Los Angeles more often than I am any other place, I find more witnesses here. So what else did he say? Well, he said to them that all that is written in the scripture about me even though the prophets in the law of Moses and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he told them, you are my witnesses. Now here is the story of a lady at the turn of this year, the first week of January. She said, I found myself seemingly awake, yet reason tells me it was a vision. At the moment that I experienced it, I seemed so much to be awake. I found myself in an ancient Roman seaport in biblical times. It was almost midnight, a very, very hot summer's night. There was an enormous crowd in their tunics bearing these lights. They all had these tapers moving towards an enormous temple, but I was moving in the opposite direction. I was struggling and fighting through this enormous crowd, trying to reach the beach, where I knew I had an appointment with someone on the beach. I am fighting and struggling, and when I got clear of this enormous crowd, all moving in the opposite direction, I found and felt myself on the beach. I could feel the sand and hear a group of fishermen darkly clad, and they were all discussing. In the distance, farther on, were three fishermen and a man dressed in white, and they were urging him to get into the boat and rest. Then he stepped into the boat and sat down and placed his head in his hands. And he seemed so weary, so very tired, and they began to push the boat into the water, and I tried to scream out to wait, wait but one minute for me, but I was so tired that I couldn't get even a squeak out of my voice, and I thought I have utterly failed. Then the man, the man clad in white said something to the three fishermen, and then he got out of the boat, and then he looked up to the starry heaven, and then he turned and faced the east. And as he faced the east, Neville, it was you. There you were. You were the man with whom I had the appointment. Then you turned to the fisherman, and you said, No, I will wait until the dawn. 
for there are others to come. Then the relief that I felt that I had not been too late was so overpowering that I awoke. Well, that's scripture. We read that in the book of Mark, Mark 3, 7, and 9. I tell you honestly that you are going to have that experience. Others will believe you and you see and see you in the role, and everything said in scripture concerning Jesus Christ you are going to experience. And when you tell it, as you will, those who believe you when you tell it will see you in the role. And those who do not believe you or do not believe it will not see you in the role. They will continue their journey, believing in an external Jesus Christ. They will see him as someone other. She saw him naturally as someone other, but she also heard me tell her. She, too, would have the experience of not only seeing her in that same role, and they, too, would be coming through that crowd moving in the opposite direction. They are moving towards some man-made temple made with human hands, and she is moving toward a temple not made with hands. And the temple is a risen Lord. One day, you are going to have this experience. So all the things said of him, you will one day know it is said of you, and you will experience it. So then John, who was the witness, said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, we proclaim also to you, and we write this, that your joy may be complete. First John 1, 1. Three, He's telling you, I witnessed the truth of what he said, so his face did not appear upon the stage, because no one person can claim I am he, and I alone. The I am, and everyone is the he who will have all the experiences as stated in the gospel, and it begins with the resurrection. It begins with this rising within you, in the sepulchre of your own skull, and then out you come from that sepulchre, born from above born just as told in scripture, with witnesses to bear witness to this fantastic supernatural birth. That's your birth. And then you go through the entire story, but not only the four major events as I have recalled them for you, but all the things said of him will be said of you and witness concerning you by those who believe you when you tell the story. So we are told the one who first heard it and first recorded it, his name was Paul. And Paul's day ended in his own home, teaching from morning to night, trying to persuade others concerning the story of Jesus Christ, using only the Bible to support his argument. And some believed and others disbelieved, and that is the story. Today I had a very dear friend of mine to lunch. She was born in the, mountain, in the Mormon faith, but married outside of the faith, and her parents, to save her soul, they are very good Mormons had her married by proxy to a Mormon who has been deceased because without a Mormon marriage, she could not go to heaven. So they have a heaven where there is marriage and you have a mate. So she's now mated to someone that she doesn't know and doesn't care for, but she has her own mate who sired her child. She's mad about her son. They are mad about their son. And here she is now by the Mormon tradition, married to another by proxy to save her soul. She gave up that faith and joined the Christian science faith and became a very good practitioner. She still is a practitioner. But she said to me today, Neville, you know you frighten me. 
You have taken from me my traditional Jesus. You speak of the human imagination as the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't you say divine imagination? Well, I speak of my own wonderful human imagination, and it is to me divine, yes. If that is going to satisfy you, I will call it divine. But do I not say that the human imagination is the divine body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that should aid you to believe I mean divine, for that's the immortal self, which I call human imagination, that I may make it easier for the whole vast world to feel the reality of the Jesus Christ who is buried within him. For scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is in you, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and challenges man to prove it or disprove it. Do you not realize, asked Paul, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, said he, you fail to meet the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Well, if he is in me, or I have an external Christ, where is he? I tell you that he is your very being. That's why you can't see him. You don't see him as you see objects. You are the reality that is named imagination. You don't see imagination. You see the fruit of an active imagination. You see it in action, and you see the fruit of all that activity. But the reality... You are the reality named that imagination. If I say Jesus Christ, because of the traditional concept, you think of a man and think of him as something external to yourself. And you get on your knees and you pray to a false God. There is no external God to you. God literally became you, that you may become God. And the God that became you is your own wonderful human imagination. And that is the divine body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that does not offend you, then take that, my dear. While she was filled to overflowing with questions, she said, At lunch I was only going to ask you two questions. While the two became two hundred, it was perfectly all right, just one after the other. It is perfectly all right, for I love her dearly. She was so hungry for all the answers concerning what I am saying here that are in conflict with her traditional concept which she gave up and then accepted the Christian science faith, which now she practices as a practitioner. And she loves it. It gives her a great comfort. I said to her, you know, it is a positive way of thinking, and it's a wonderful way to go through life. You help a number of people who will turn to you. But may I tell you, it is neither science nor religion. It is certainly not scientific, and certainly it is not religion. Religion is devotion. Religion is a tie to the most exalted reality that one has experienced. So what have you experienced to which you can tie yourself and say that's religion? The only true religion. You will find it in the gospel. That is the fulfillment of God's promise to man. The gospel is his plan of redemption. When you have experienced the gospel, then you have religion. Now hold on to it just like a tail. You've held on to it so far. And as a poet said, truth, embodied in a tale, shall enter in at lowly doors. You hear it as I heard it as a child. My mother taught me the story. I went to school and they repeated the story. And it became the story that I accepted as my faith until it happened in me. Then I had to reinterpret scripture in the light of my own experience of scripture. And then I go out to tell my own experience. And that is the story of the gospel. And so... It happens and it will happen to every being in this world. There isn't a man born unto this world who will not one day experience it. 
Well, then, she said to me, but suppose I die now and I don't experience it. You don't die. You really don't die. I will experience it if you go now. And I don't go with you. I will experience your death. But you will not experience your death because you won't even know you're dead. You're dead only to me, but not to yourself because you are very much alive in a world just like this, just as real as this with the problems that now confront you. You may find yourself in an entirely different role as far as environment goes, but may I tell you, you are not going to find yourself married to that one who is now your husband by proxy. You're not going to find yourself there at all. The average marriage in this world, if it had to be perpetuated forever, wouldn't you be living in hell forever? Why do you think we have divorce courts and are making it easier and easier every day of the world, all over the world? Because without that to help man here, it would be hell, really hell. By man, I mean generic man. It's just as bad for a woman as for man. Okay, so that is the end of part one of two of Neville Goddard's lecture, Family Portrait. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day.